We are in a series for the season of Lent that we've called Questions God Asks Us, looking at uh, various stories in the Old Testament where God comes and encounters people with very poignant, um, very convicting, very sobering questions. And today marks uh, the final week of Lent in the beginning of Holy Week, uh, which really climaxes next Sunday, as we've been saying, with, um, with Easter. Today is, is Palm Sunday, or the Sunday of the Passion, as it's called in some traditions. And it marks the day that 2,000 years ago, um, Jesus rode into the city of Jerusalem to cheering crowds, knowing that he would eventually face betrayal and rejection and false accusation and abuse and a brutal execution from a jeering crowd in less than a week's time. But today, as you heard, we are in the Old Testament book of Genesis. Uh, We're in one of the most famous and bizarre accounts, I think, in all of Scripture. Uh, It's the all-night wrestling match between Jacob and this mysterious man. And it it may surprise you, but I think Jacob's wrestling match by the Jabbok River, um, thousands of years before Jesus entered into Jerusalem. I think that account of Jacob wrestling God and Jesus' entrance into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, years later, are actually connected to one another, but more on that later. Uh, But for now, I want us to focus on, I think, three realities that that this this story is, is driving us to, is 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 speaking to us all here this morning. So three realities of this story from Jacob's wrestling match, and here they are. You're not going to see them on the screen. Uh, first, God doesn't fit your box. In fact, he's a boxer. Second, your main problem is not your main problem. And third, the way to win is to lose. So God doesn't fit your box. In fact, he's a boxer. Your main problem is not your main problem, and the way to win is to lose. God doesn't fit your box. In fact, he's a boxer. A little context is necessary. Jacob is a, especially if you're, if you're new to Christianity, new to the Bible, Jacob is a pivotal character in the Bible. He's the father of 12 sons who end up becoming the 12 tribes of the nation of Israel. And the story that John just read is the account of when Jacob was renamed Israel. He was given a new name. And it's sort of a founding event, not only for Jacob's life, but for the nation of Israel as an entity, as a nation. This is where they received their identity. This was destiny shaping both for Jacob and for all his descendants. So who is this Jacob? Jacob is, he's the son of Isaac. His father was named Isaac. And Isaac was the son of promise of a man named Abraham, who you may be familiar with. Abraham was, he's uh, the father of Judaism. He's, uh, he, uh, uh, is, Islam looks to him as their founder, uh, as well as Christianity. He's, he's central to Christianity. Um, and Jacob, he's, so he's, he's in this line of very important, pivotal characters in the Bible. He's also a twin. He has a twin brother named Esau. And ever since birth, even prior to birth, Jacob this, uh, has been fighting, has been wrestling with his brother Esau. 
His entire life, he's been fighting Esau. And in fact, 20 years prior to this account that we're reading about, uh, this wrestling match between God and Jacob, uh, Jacob had fled for his life because he had tricked and cheated Esau and his father out of, um, out of a blessing, out of a birthright, which was really the, uh, the, the rights and the honor and the prestige of being the firstborn, which Jacob was not. Esau was the firstborn. And Esau, because of that, had threatened to kill Jacob. And so now, 20 years later, Jacob is about to face off with Esau, uh, with his older brother. So this is, as I said, it's one of the most bizarre stories in the entire Bible, for sure. Uh, A wrestling match between two strangers, um, which the story reveals is one of them happens to be God. Uh, Now, a wrestling match is pretty believable, but a wrestling match between the divine and a human being, between God and a person, um, that may strike you this morning as somewhat unbelievable. And many people uh, do find this story unbelievable. Uh, they, they, you may find this story to be, it sounds more like the stuff of myth or legend than actual history. Uh, you might be willing to admit, as some people are, they read stories like this in the Old Testament and they, uh, they think that this actually points to some um, honest and genuine sort of psychological or spiritual truth. Um, about humanity or about the human experience, but it's not real. This didn't actually happen in real history. God was not fighting Jacob down in the dirt and in the mud of the Jabbok River. So some might say uh, that this experience describes kind of a sleepless or restless night, a dark night of the soul in which Jacob was filled with anxiety and fear and in which he was wrestling with his inner demons. Now that's that's tr- maybe true uh, so far as it goes. There can be a lot of wisdom there. But make no mistake, this was a real wrestling match. You cannot spiritualize this. And the reason I know that is because Jacob leaves this fight limping. He leaves injured. He leaves permanently handicapped and disabled. It's physical. It's real. It took place in time and space. Now, why does that matter? Why am I sort of um, pressing that point? It matters because it shows us that this was not in Jacob's head. It wasn't just a result of Jacob's psyche. It was reality. It points us to reality, to truth. It's a description, actually, of what God is like. Here's why that's important. Uh, Last week, if you were here with us, we were looking at the story of Elijah and his flight to Mount Horeb in the Arabian desert. And God, uh, if you know that story, God comes to Elijah in in a low, quiet, comforting whisper. It's soft, it's consoling, it's just what Elijah needs. But look at this story. God doesn't come with a whisper. He comes as a wrestler. See, God, this is the reality. This is why this is important, that it's real. It's important because God does not fit your box. He isn't bound by your boundaries. He does not respect your restrictions on him. See, if you're more on the progressive side of things this morning, politically, culturally, socially, there's a tendency in those circles to describe God in terms of Things like love and approval and acceptance and tolerance. 
So people on the left, they want to say, I want a God who just accepts me, who loves me for who I am. But look at how God comes to Jacob. He comes and he assaults him. He attacks him. This isn't merely a God of love and approval and tolerance. This is a God who wallops you, who confronts you, who challenges you, who throws you into the dirt and then puts you into submission holds. Now, some of my more conservative friends, people on the right, may be thinking, phew, go get him, pastor. Yes, I told you. Now, hold up. Wait one second. Because the typical conservative view of God, the view of God typically on the right, is that God rewards those who obey or who are moral or who are socially put together or who have their act together. But look at Jacob. If you know the background of this story, you know that he is on a journey following God. He is now at this point in his life listening to God. He's praying to God. He's getting his life and his family in order. And what does God do? God pummels him. See, this is not the God of the liberals or the conservatives. This is a God that is outside of our box. He does not respect your boundaries. He is not limited by your restrictions. He is something entirely other. The God of the Bible, the God of Christianity, he does not fit your box. And that's a good thing. Let me tell you why that's a good thing. It's a good thing because it means that if God doesn't fit our expectations then the universe that we live in and the life that we all live will not match our expectations. He's beyond our thinking and our strategies and our boundaries, and so life is not what you think it is. That means that sometimes in nights of insomnia and restlessness, nights of discomfort, self-doubt, insecurity, exactly what Jacob was going through as he was about to square off with Esau, Those moments in your life which you may feel like are the moments of spiritual emptiness and deadness may be moments in which you are spiritually most alive, experiencing spiritual vitality that you don't even know about because life does not fit your expectations, because you have a God that does not fit your expectations. Wrestling, if you've ever done any wrestling, you know that it's... Real wrestling, I'm not just talking about with your three-year-old. Wrestling is no joke. It's a full body and mind experience, and that's just two minutes of wrestling. Imagine wrestling all night, which is exactly what Jacob did. Imagine the concentration and the endurance and the strength that was required of Jacob. You know what that says to me? It says to me that there may be some of you today here who need to do exactly that. You need to go toe-to-toe with God. You've been, perhaps, compartmentalizing God. But you see, when you're wrestling someone, it's a full body and mind experience. It requires all of your heart, all of your mind, all of your strength. See, a relationship with God allows no compartmentalization it takes all of you it also requires attention do you know how much mental focus and stamina mental attention it takes to wrestle someone you've got to be intensely focused 
You've got to be reading your opponent's moves, aware of their body and their stance and their position, and also aware of yourself and your own limitations. And my, my sense is, because this is true of me, that some of us are just too busy for a wrestling match. We don't have the space in our mind or in our heart or in our lives to give this God, the God who does not fit our expectations or our boundaries, the focus and attention that he deserves. But wrestling is also about challenge. Have you ever wrestled before? It involves opposing the moves of another person. A couple of years ago, um, Katie and I took a dance, we got a Groupon, took a dance class together at a dance studio, a couple of sessions. Uh, Do you know what dancing is? It's following. It's mutual coordination. It's going along with the moves of the other person. Wrestling is the exact opposite. You're opposing the other person. You're challenging them. You're confronting them. So here's the question. Are you letting God do that in your life? Or is your God in this little box where he's never allowed to challenge and confront and rebuke you? Maybe you're putting God in a box and not allowing you to, not allowing him to oppose you on what? On what? On maybe a quest for consumer goods, for acquiring more, for building up your security. Maybe it's an academic pursuit of making your name great. Are you allowing God to oppose and confront you to contradict your views of religion? of money, of parenting, of politics, of sexuality, of social injustice, or are you putting him in a box? See, we all need to get in the ring and go toe-to-toe with God. How do you do that? How do you go toe-to-toe with God? How do you wrestle God? I was thinking about that this week. I can only only spell out four things and very briefly, you can talk with me afterwards if you want to follow up. Let me suggest four ways briefly. First, read the Bible. Go to Scripture. Scripture is, is, is often described as something sharp, two-edged, like a sword. Read Scripture and let it cut you. Let it confront you. Let it rebuke you. Second, go to God in prayer. And I'm not talking about prayer just for the things that you need, just for the things that God can give you, but prayer meditating on who God is. Not just what he can give you. Third, go to church. Be a part of a community, not just on Sundays, but throughout your week in community groups where you are not the center of attention, where life is not all about you and your needs. And then fourth, participate in the sacraments of the church. See in in baptism that you are not your own, that you are renamed, you are called into something that is not all about you, and then see in the Lord's Supper, as we will uh, later in the service, that you are not self-sufficient. That's how you go toe-to-toe with God. Those are the means that God has given you. Scripture, prayer, the church, the sacraments. Are you exposing yourself to the means God has given you to go toe-to-toe in the ring with him? So why? Why does God show up as a wrestler and attack and wound Jacob. That's the second reality. It's to show Jacob, to show all of us that your main problem is not your main problem. See, this is what Jacob needed. Jacob needed healing from past wounds. His whole life was 
full of generational patterns of sin and relational dysfunction, and it was having historic consequences, not just on his own life, but on generations to come. The sibling rivalry that he shared with Esau would affect countless generations to come. They were broken relationships that resulted in international war, social unrest, and mass destruction of human life, all from two brothers fighting. See, and when Jacob, when he gets to this encounter with God, he is in some sense already wounded. By the time he meets God, he is already wounded, and he doesn't get it. He doesn't realize it. He hasn't acknowledged the past. He hasn't come to the place where he's able to admit who he is and where he has come from. I wish that I could spend the next hour just talking about that because there are some of us here, myself included, who just need to dwell on that. We need to look back into our past and recognize the power sometimes that it has over us. Things that were said about us, things that we did, regrets that we have, and how those are still shaping our present and our future. Jacob was there. But can you imagine this moment right before Jacob encounters this mysterious man by the Jabbok River? What is he thinking? He's thinking he's about to face the biggest challenge in his entire life, Esau. Jacob believes he's about to walk into the fight of his life, and right at that moment, right at that moment, is when God confronts and challenges him and wrestles him to the dirt. See, Jacob needed to see that Esau was not his main problem. Esau was not his ultimate problem. Your main problem is not your main problem. See, this theme of wrestling, it was, it was, it was central to who Jacob was. That's why he was named Jacob. It was the great theme of his life, fighting with Esau, fighting with his father, fighting with his uncle Laban, fighting with his wives. And God is coming to Jacob and he's saying, all along, Jacob, you thought you were wrestling Esau. You thought you were wrestling your father. You thought you were wrestling Laban. And all this time you've been fighting with me. All this time, I am the one who you need to go toe-to-toe with. You thought Esau was your greatest threat? I am your greatest threat. So who's your Esau? Can I put it that way this morning? Who is your Esau? What is the challenge that's in front of you? The thing that you think is your big problem? Do you know that that's not your main problem? Your main problem is that you are a sinner. I am a sinner. And we are fighting and struggling and grasping for independence from our creator and maker. What's your Esau? See, it's never ultimately about Esau. It's never ultimately about Esau. Who wins? Who wins this match-off between God, this mysterious man? That's who the text says it is. It says Jacob comes to the realization that it's God. Uh, who, Who wins this fight? Who wins this combat? Did you see the contradiction in verse 25? Uh, Look with me briefly at the contradiction in, in, in verse 25. When the man, God, saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, 
he touched his hip socket, Jacob's hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. That's a contradiction right in the same verse. This man is losing to Jacob. He, ca- he notices that he cannot prevail against Jacob. Jacob has fought with him this entire night, and this man has not prevailed against him. And what does he do? What's the contradiction? All he does is touch Jacob's hip socket. He touched Jacob's thigh, and the fight is over. It's a contradiction. Who wins this fight? Well, in some sense, God wins, and he loses. God doesn't prevail, and yet he, with a mere touch, that's what the text says. It's not, it's not a punch, it's not a strike, it's a mere touch. So in some sense, God loses, but he also wins. It becomes clear that God has been holding back this entire time. See, if God had come with absolute power, with absolute control, He would have won, but he would have lost. What would have happened? He would have crushed Jacob. He would have destroyed Jacob. But instead, because God lost, he gained a son. He gained Jacob. He made himself low so that Jacob could be lifted up. And any parent who who has wrestled with a child knows exactly what's going on. God's holding back. He's not unleashing his full power, his full might, his full authority. You know what happened on Palm Sunday? Jesus rode into Jerusalem and could have come in as a conquering commander. But instead, he chose to be nailed to a cross. He chose to repurpose his power, to win by losing. If Jesus had held on to power, it would have crushed us all. If he would have held on to authority, it would have decimated us. But instead, he lost. And you know what he gained? He gained you. He gained you. So God here in this text, he loses, but he also wins. He wins Jacob. What about Jacob? He wins the fight. God says that he hasn't prevailed against him. Jacob wins the fight, and yet he's left with this permanent disability. Is that winning? Is that winning? Well, notice there's a change in the character of Jacob. There's something that happens internally to Jacob that shows that he actually did win. Even though he, in some sense, lost, he also won. You see it in Jacob's clinging to the wrestler. As soon as his hip is touched and he's disabled, he begins clinging to this man. How ironic. Think about what wrestling is. In, in any, any, if you've ever been in a fight, um, the whole point of the fight is to get, is to get out of the fight. You're fighting for independence. You don't want to be a part of something that's life-threatening. But notice what Jacob is doing. He's no longer fighting for independence. He's fighting for dependence. He's grasping on, clinging on to God. See, Jacob's been changed. There's something about Jacob in this realization of who God who this man is, who this wrestler is, something has been changed. It's showing something about the reality, the very center of Christianity, that actually the way to victory, the way to victory is through defeat. The way up is the way down. The last will be first, and the way to win is, is to lose. That's the third reality. 
that Jacob comes to understand that the way to win is to lose. See, Jacob's entire life, his entire life has been focused on this search, this endless quest to get the blessing. That's what he's asking for here from this mysterious wrestler. He is haunted his entire life by this hole in his heart, this vacuum inside of him to hear a word of blessing spoken over him by someone greater than him. He's got this enti- his entire life, this insatiable quest, this insatiable thirst to get the blessing, to secure the blessing through his ambition, through his work, through his manipulation, through his family, through love relationships. And he can't seem to get it. See, this is what Jacob wants to hear. He wants to hear, Jacob, you are okay. Jacob, you are noticed. Jacob, you are loved. Jacob, you matter. Jacob, you have value. You are loved. You are liked. We all need this. We need someone to say over us, I see you. You matter to me. And I like you. See, Jacob's on a quest. He's on a search to hear this because he never did. His own name, Jacob, is a testament to that reality. He was the second favorite of his father. And you don't need a degree in psychology to know that Jacob must have been grappling with severe father issues. Imagine a parent giving you the name Jacob that essentially means liar, cheat, supplanter, heel grabber. Imagine for a moment growing up like that. And maybe some of, here, maybe some of you here this morning have grown up in family dynamics, family cultures like that. Your father pronounces a curse over you and you live under the shadow of that negative verdict the rest of your life. It affects everything you do. It colors everything you do, consciously, subconsciously, But see what happens to Jacob. He meets the greatest somebody. He thinks he's a nobody. He's trying to achieve the blessing, trying to get the blessing, trying to wrestle the blessing out of other people's hands because he feels like a nobody, and now he meets the greatest somebody. He finally realizes that the blessing he's been looking for from his father, in his wealth, in his family, He finally comes to God and he's asking God to give give me you. You are the blessing. Not give me the blessing, but you are the blessing. I recognize for the first time in my life that God is the blessing. So he says, I won't let you go. I see it. You are the blessing. If I have you, I'll have everything. If I lose you, nothing else matters. Even if I gain the whole world, I will have lost everything if I lost you. Do you see that? That the way, the way up is the way down. The, the last will be first. The way to win is to lose. Jacob needs to lose. He needs to lose his comfort, his security, his identity, and find it in God. That's true of you and me this morning. I'll close with this. Why the thigh? Did you notice that in the text? Did you ever think about that? I thought about this week. Like, I suppose God could have touched him on the arm or the foot. Why the thigh? This is fascinating. In the Old Testament, the thigh is is sort of important. It comes up a couple of times. Um, 
this wound, this scar is, that is on Jacob's thigh is actually, uh, it's something that marks Israel as a nation. You see that in verse 32. The text actually draws our attention to it. It informs Israelite ritual for centuries. Um, there's other references in Genesis too. Uh, if you're familiar with stories of Abraham, there's moments where Abraham, um, he's making a covenant with people and he actually swears on the thigh. That's the language. They swear on the thigh. And I've always wondered about that language. It seems sort of odd. Um, I, you know, we live in a culture where touch is sort of, uh, you know, and if somebody touches your thigh, uh, we're, we're, we live in a culture where that's unacceptable usually. Um, and I've always wondered, what in the world does that mean, the swearing on the thigh? Then you get to the book of Exodus, and in Exodus chapter 1, you read about the nation of Israel and how they were described literally as the descendants of Jacob's thigh. So you see, thigh was actually a euphemism for the area of the reproductive organs. So to swear on the thigh was to swear on your offspring, on your descendants. That's fascinating. That's amazing. That's incredible. Let me, let me tell you why. It means a couple of things. First, it means that God fights dirty. He will hit you below the belt. Second, it's prophetic. It's prophetic. What do I mean? God is saying to Jacob in this moment, I'm merely with a touch, with just a touch. I'm touching your thigh. And it will, it will, it will be a blow that will leave you crippled for the rest of your life. But there's going to be a descendant. There's going to be one of your offspring. There's going to be a descendant that comes from your thigh and he will receive a blow that will crush him. Jacob, you get the blow and it will cripple you. There's going to be a descendant, one from your thigh. He will get the blow that will crush him. Centuries later, Jesus, who was a descendant from Jacob's thigh, he came, he lived a perfectly obedient life. He was the son whose father always spoke blessing over him. He always had the love, the favor, the smile, and the security of his father. And yet on the cross, he lost it. He lost the blessing. He forfeited the birthright. And the father's smile turned into a frown on the cross. Why? So that we, who have been living under a curse who have ourselves forfeited the birthright, who have tried to seek approval and security in everything but God, we could get the blessing. We could be adopted and brought into the family. We could receive not the Father's frown, but the Father's smile. The Father's smile that says, I see you. You matter to me. I love you. I like you. Do you see, Jacob was saved by God because God made himself weak. God made himself weak, a sinner, a loser, a liar, beat God. He prevailed against God, and yet God made him a winner. How is that possible? Friends, it's possible because of Jesus. You're saved in the exact same way. God in Christ made himself weak so that you could be strong, so that you could be lifted up. He lost so that you could win. He was defeated so that you could receive the victory. Amazing. How do you respond to a God like that? What do you do with a God like that? 
you go to him. You cling to him. You get your name and your security and your identity and your blessing from him. How do you respond to a God like that? You go, you wrestle him. You go and you wrestle him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that in Christ you have met us toe-to-toe and you've given us a blow that wounds us. You've woken us up, Father, to the reality that you are the blessing, that you are the one that names us, that you are the one who can give approval and significance and worth and value far greater than we could ever imagine or hope. We thank you that because you gave us the wound that merely cripples us, you were able to hold back and give to Jesus the blow that would crush him. Thank you for the gospel. It is indeed good news, and we celebrate that this morning. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.